This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The word of the Lord. So traditionally, we haven't had the response like that, the word of the Lord, and so it's kind of confusing what to say. I just think we should say, yeah, it is, and then go on from there. Uh, but we're actually talking about what that needs to be, what that needs to look like. But um, back in Genesis today, I'm really excited to be back in Genesis. I thought I would take a moment this morning and remind you of the journey we've been on. Do you know that it was February 12th of last year that we started uh, with um, the, the Genesis Romans kind of a collaboration? And we started with actually a series we called The Foundations of Theology. And we uh, went through the first several, actually the first three chapters in Genesis where we kind of focused on some key doctrines, creation, Sabbath, the Imago Dei, the image of God, and so on. And we were in that for a while. And then we began a new, in April, a new mini-series that we called The Depth of Depravity. And we were in that from Genesis 4 through Genesis 11. And then we had June, and we took a little break and did this We Are the Church series. And then we got back into Romans, where we've been in Romans up till chapter 3, but all kind of around that depravity, because that's where Genesis was focusing on the first 
first part of Romans was focusing on, but we're about to uh, someday soon get into Romans 4, and so a kind of transition happens there where we're talking about Abraham and the life of faith. And so what we're going to do is jump back into Genesis for a bit, and we're going to spend some time looking at the life of Abraham in our text. Now he's Abram. By the way, there's name changes that will go along, and I hope I keep it straight all the time. Chances are I'll say Abraham when I mean to say Abram, but you'll be patient with me, right? Thank you for all that. And uh, But we're talking about a life of faith, a life of faith. And I'm excited to talk about that this morning. In fact, just going to start right out with the big idea. Here it is. Uh, here's what I want from you this morning as you seek to apply the text to your life. When God speaks, I will obey, trusting in his promises. When God speaks, I will obey, trusting in his promises. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to take two kind of passes through this text. The first pass through, we're just going to look at the big moves in the text. And as we do, we're going to see uh, what the story unfolds for us. Whenever we interpret the Bible, we have to uh, consider the genre that we're reading. And Genesis is a narrative genre. And so the question, we believe in what's called single interpretation. Now, I have a video I'm going to put out uh, this week. I've recorded it already, but it's really uh, the principle unpacked for you. Why do we hold to the principle of the single interpretation of Scripture? I wanted to put in the sermon. Don't feel like I have the time, but we'll put a video out explaining that later this week. But whenever you're trying to you know, interpret a passage of Scripture, you're always asking, what is the original author writing to the original people? And in the narrative, you kind of ask the questions, what are the big moves in the text? What are the events that the author highlights? We believe the Holy Spirit carried Moses along as he was reading a writing Genesis. And so what did the Holy Spirit impress upon Moses to record? What were the events? Well, in this particular text, let's just this first pass through. I just want to do some Bible exegesis, some explanation as to what's happening here. Then we're going to come back and we're going to apply these things to our life. So here are the big moves that I see in Genesis. You have Genesis 12. First of all, you have this. God speaks. There is big move number one that happens right away in 12.1. Look at this. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram. Now you have to uh, understand at this point, the Bible wasn't done yet, not even close. And so Abram wasn't carrying around a completed text of scripture with him. So God audibly, audibly spoke to Abram. He heard the voice of God. In fact, if you look down at verse number seven, you'll also see this. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. So you have God speaking to Abram. You have God showing up and appearing. We don't know what form he took. We don't know what that looked like. But somehow, some way, he appeared to Abram and spoke again. So God physically, audibly speaking to Abram. And uh, it's a huge deal. Uh, he had just left Ur with his father. Now they're in Haran. And now God is calling him even out of Haran. And this call comes at great sacrifice. Did you see it in the text? He says, verse number one again, go from your country. Go from your kindred. Go from your father's house. Abram, I want you to leave everything familiar and comfortable, anything that brings you security and identity, and I want you to walk away from it all. Well, to what? Well, I'm going to show you. Slowly, carefully, along the way, bit by bit, piece by piece, I'm going to show you. 
and your position is just to trust me. Now, not only does God speak, God also makes promises, and we have here the first iteration of several in the book of Genesis of the Abrahamic promise, Abrahamic covenant, and the actual covenant comes in 15, but here's the first time it's spoken, and uh, look at what he promises starting in verse number two, and I will, you'll see this, I will, I will, I will, I will. God is saying, you obey me, here's what I'm going to do, and we see the promises that God has made to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, I will bless you. I will make your name great. If I had time in the sermon, I would mention how, isn't it interesting in uh, the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make their own name great. And I hear God is saying to Abram that he's gonna make his name great. If I had time, I'd mention it, but I'm gonna keep moving. And I will uh, make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's important to know this is a conditional promise. Kind of like an if-then statement for those of you who love Excel. Uh, if you do this, then I will do this. And if you just trust me and step out in faith and leave all that you know, then I am going to, and he lists all these things, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you. And this is a, this is a massively miraculous promise. The text reveals how old Abram is in the text. And if you didn't see that, the guy in verse number four, it reveals he is 75 years old. To put that in perspective, uh, I'm 49. He's 26 years older than I am. I know, right? That's really, really old. <laughs> but he's well past at this point. He is probably well past his fathering days. And also, look at this. This is interesting because actually verse 11 is the first mention of Abram and his wife, Sarai. And what we see in her being introduced, we see this in verse number 30 of Genesis chapter 11. Let's look at 1130 to see this. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. That's like the only thing said of her right away. At this point in time, that was a big deal in the uh, culture and the history. And she was barren. She didn't have a child. And that's what she's kind of known for. And then he says, I'm gonna make you a great nation? In fact, look at verse number seven where he says this. In verse number seven, he says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring. So just, just so we're clear on this, when I say make you a great nation, I'm talking about your kids. You're gonna have kids. You're gonna have a lot of people in your family. It's a miraculous promise. And then he ends with this one. I think it's really important to note this morning. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And what Paul tells us in both Romans 4, and we'll get to Romans 4, but here's Galatians chapter 3, where he sums it up really well. He tells us exactly how that promise was fulfilled. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So what Paul said is that when he said that, he was preaching the gospel. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And all the nations of the world can be blessed in Jesus. And to say Jesus has been a blessing in my life. <laughs> it's gotta be the biggest understatement in the history of the universe. Jesus is the ultimate blessing in 
my life. And yet here's Abraham, and he, God has spoken, God has promised. And then we see this in verse number four, the next big move in the text. Abraham believes and obeys. He believes and obeys. We know he believes because Romans 4 will tell us that, and Galatians tells us that. It's faith that moves Abram. But look at what verse number four says. I love the simplicity of it. So Abram went as the Lord told him. God said, go, and I want you to read the first part of verse four with me. So let's say it together. So Abram went as the Lord told him. He just believed God and he walked in obedience. So two, two key words here, simple obedience. But the other word I put to that is costly obedience because the rest of this verse number five, you know, end of verse four, end of verse five, talks about like all that he had to do to actually make this happen, right? There's a lot of logistics that went into this obedience. But what's awesome and most awesome about this text is it really points to the heart of Abram because then you have this big move, which the text points out several times, and that is Abram worships. Look at verse number seven and eight. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. He builds an altar of worship to the Lord. Awesome. And then we also see this later on where he worships the Lord. This is now the end of verse number eight. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. His heart response to God was a heart of worship. God is scary. I don't know where we're going. This is everything is on the line for me, but you told me to go and I'm going to go and I'm not just going to go in grumbling obedience. I'm not going to go in reluctant obedience. I'm going to go in worshipful obedience. So that's kind of an unpacking of the text. These are the big moves in the text, some important things that we need to know from it. But now I want to take another pass through. And here's what I want to do. Because my challenge to you is to live a life of faith. And when I say that, I mean an everyday deep trust of your God. And we need the help. We need the reminders. And so I want to show you today how important it is and how this becomes a model for what we can do to live a life of faith. Because one thing it's easy to do, it's easy to read the story of Abram and to say, man, isn't that guy incredible? Isn't he amazing? He's like a superhero. He is like a fairy tale hero. And we read the Bible that way, don't we? Where we see David, we see Abram, we see most of these great men of God, and they kind of become like, like a fictional figures to us, you know, personal or Luke Skywalker or whoever it is in your life that you look up to and like, I could never be that. I could never achieve that. And I want to say to you, you can live this. You can have an amazing life of faith. You can really step out in faith and really trust him and God can show up and do really amazing things for you. So let me show you all of that as we unpack this this way. First of all, here then is the application uh, to this. We'll pass through this again, looking carefully at the application. So write this down first of all. <laughs> and I want you to believe this. This is all by faith. So I want you to really believe this. God really does speak to me. God really does speak to me. 
Pastor, are you going crazy a little bit? No, I'm gonna show you exactly what I mean by this. I don't know how many times I've heard someone say this to me. Man, I wish God would just show up and tell me what to do. You ever felt that way? You're facing some massive decision. You gotta figure out to move, to buy the house, to buy the car, to whatever. And you'll say, oh, it's so hard of a decision. I wish God would just appear before me and say, Jamie, this is what I want you to do. Then I would know what I want you to do. And I wanna say to you this morning uh, that what you have, listen now, this is gonna blow your mind. What you have is better and more sure than even that would be. And let's sit for a second to see how much you really believe that what you have today, what we have today is better and even more sure than God showing up and speaking audibly to us. Let me show you. All right, first of all, this. God really does speak to me. And I say speak to me with words because consider 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is, church, read it with me. All scripture is breathed out by God, I'll take it from here, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, what's the word, church? Complete and equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. I love how the ESV translates that. If you have a different translation, it might say all scripture is inspired by God, but the actual Greek word is the breath of God, the very breath of God. What does that mean? Well, everyone do this. Take your hand, hold it up in front of your face. Come on, do this with me, just like this, and I want you to say your name, Jamie Hart. To say your name. Go ahead and do it. Your name's not Jamie Hart. <laughs> I love you, Dale, so much. Your name, is that, that's identity theft, pal. I just want to let you know that. Uh, try it again. Put your hand in front of your face and just say your name. Did you feel it? Did you feel that breath on your hand? Did you feel it? See, when you speak, you breathe. And that's what the text is trying to reveal to us today. It comes to the very breath of God. So, so this book that we have right here in our hands came to us by the very word of God. And we believe the entirety of it, all of scripture. We believe every word is inspired and given by God. So how did that all take place? Great question. We're gonna answer that by going to 2 Peter chapter one, 2 Peter chapter one. I love 2 Peter chapter one, especially when it comes to the um, doctrine of the Bible, because in 2 Peter chapter one, you have some really important uh, revelations about uh, God's word that come from this text. Um, do you know who wrote 2 Peter? Thank you, Peter. And uh, uh, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Apparently, he was short with really big arms. If you watch The Chosen, that's how they portrayed him. Anyway, uh, Peter was this uh, man of God who uh, was with Jesus all along the way. And uh, do you remember how uh, Peter uh, was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Do you remember that? And so Peter, Peter was there on the mountain. I want you to imagine yourself there on the mountain with Jesus. And what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, first of all, Jesus was transformed into his glory. Prophets stood beside him, Moses and Elijah. And then the audible voice of God came down from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm assuming God was a base. Um, but that's what he said. Audibly, he heard the words of Jesus. He heard him. 
In fact, he, he mentions that here in the text. Take a look at verse number 17. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. I just can't think majestic glory can be a tenor. You know what I mean? It's gotta be a bass. Um, anyway, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse number 18, now watch this. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own private interpretation. For no prophet, uh, prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's what, here is what Peter is saying. Yeah, I heard the voice and I saw Jesus transfigured, but I got the scripture now. And it's the prophetic word more firmly or more fully confirmed. Or as other translations uh, put it, a more sure word. Hey, it means that this book in your hands, according to Peter, was more certain than the voice and the appearance of God himself. You tracking with that? That's huge. Yeah, I'd love God to come down and say, Jamie, do this today. Well, I have that. I have all that I need to know to be complete, equipped for every good work. Right here in the word of God. I got something even more sure, according to Peter. And he tells us how it happened. Moses, when he was writing the Pentateuch, was carried along by the Holy Spirit. John, when he was writing the gospel, was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we got this. So you already have God's word, and God actually does speak to you. A life of faith deeply believes that. Do you? When this becomes real to you, that what his word says is to me, and it's enough, it'll, it'll completely change your morning devotional time. Every morning devotion needs a cup of coffee. Can I get a witness? Amen. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. God just spoke to me right there. That was just, no, not, no, no, don't worry. But when you really, underst when you really understand, and I mean this, I, I mean like there has been the sweetest times in my walk with Jesus have been my morning devotional time with the Lord. Where, I mean, it just happened yesterday again. It just happens all the time where I'm like, I, God just gives me exactly what I needed to hear from him. Guidance, direction, confirmation, all from the Lord right there. So yeah, even better than Abraham, I have the scripture. God speaks to me. Do you know this? Number two, God really does make promises to me. God really actually does make promises to me. His word has promises that are in there and those promises are for me. So what I wanna do is I'm gonna go through several texts. And what I want you to see is the command in the text. Then I want you to see the incredible promise that's associated with the command. 
And I hope this just bolsters up your faith a little bit today. As we seek to live a life of faith, let's land on some really important, really key promises. So uh, here is one that I want you to see, and I want you to, in fact, what I'm gonna do here, I'm I'm trying to grab the ones that are like really impactful to your everyday life. Like these could change your life if you really grabbed a hold of them. So here's one, uh, uh, let's just talk about Matthew 6, 33, Matthew 6, 33. Here's the promise. So here, here's, the, here's the verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So church, first of all, what's the command of God? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, okay? That's the command. Set your heart, set your mind to seek this, my kingdom, and what I consider righteous. Do that, and then all these things will be added to you. Well, to understand that these things, you gotta go back to the context of Matthew 6, and he's talking about the what you will wear and what you will eat, what you will wear and what you will eat. The birds have all they need, the flowers of the field have all they need, and you're gonna have all you need because God is gonna take care of you like he takes care of the grass, like he takes care of the sparrows. And I don't know about you in your life, but I'm telling you, I have had a struggle with just a little bit of anxiety. And anxiety really has at the root this question, am am I really gonna be okay? Is my family really gonna be okay? Will we have enough? Will we be all right? Man, I tell you, I I really struggle with that, especially um, leaving a very comfortable job as a pastor in Elkhart and planting a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Who goes to Fort Wayne? (laughs) The city of churches to plant another church. But I believe that there were some promises I could lay my finger onto, like Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there's a promise there that could apply to my life. But uh, um, I've needed this reminder promise is that God's going to take care of me. I'm going to have what I need for food. I'm going to have what I need for clothing. God has got me. He's going to take care of me. But what's the command though? What's the command church? Seek first the kingdom. Okay. All right. Question. What did you seek first this week. I do this to you all the time. I want you to look back and think about the week behind us. What did you seek first? So when you got up last Monday morning, what were you after? And on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon and Thursday night, and put it into real life here. What was it you actually were seeking after? If we're honest, man, there are really four kind of big buckets that we uh, set our hearts to. We want our own security. And oftentimes we are seeking our own security. If we're being honest, a lot of us struggle with significance. I want to know that I mean something. I want people to see that. And so, so I'm really seeking my own security, or maybe it's comfort. I really want to arrange my life in such a way that I can experience the comfort that I need, or maybe it's pleasure. Uh, And that's what we really orient our lives toward. We seek those things. Let's be honest, right? 
Instead, it's got to be, God, you've called me to a mission for your kingdom's sake. You've called me to spread the gospel. God, you have called me to disciple others. And my kids, certainly, my life, certainly, but beyond that even, to disciple. And you've called me to that. God, you've called me to live righteously right before you. And that's what I want to do. That's what I want to seek. That's what I'm after. And when we set our hearts and our minds to God, I'm going to live for you, then he takes care of all the rest. So it's a beautiful promise that I'm going to be okay and my family's going to be okay because I trust in his promises. It's faith. It's faith. Here's another verse. So that's Matthew 6. Let's talk about this one. Let's talk about Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Here we have a, um, kind of a negative commandment with a positive commandment. So let's just see that first. Here's the command. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything. There's a negative, don't worry, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving with your requests are made known to God. So the command is really, don't worry, but pray. Let's say that together. Don't worry, but pray. Turn to your neighbor and tell him. That's, that's, the, that's the command. Don't worry, but pray. And now what's the promise, church? Look at this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I really trust him and I offer these things up in prayer to him, and I don't worry, but I pray, I get this peace. And that word peace is so very, very important. God's word is speaking to me. No, he's not appearing to you and speaking audibly. You have something more sure than that. You have his word where he says to you, child, I don't want you to worry. Ask me. I got this. I got two more for you. Here's another one. If any of you lacks wisdom, what's the command? Let him ask of God, who, by the way, gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's cool. Okay, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Uh, I need wisdom. Now, by the way, wisdom is a really important kind of uh, biblical concept to understand. It's not knowledge. Knowledge is one thing. Wisdom is something else entirely. It's not greater knowledge. Here's how it works. You have knowledge, and then you have the application of that knowledge. That's wisdom. Actually living out the knowledge is wisdom. And so how does this actually apply to my life? I want to know. How does all this apply to my life? Well, you have a promise here, and that is if you ask God to give you wisdom, what does he do? He gives it. And so we just go to him and we ask him for wisdom. We prayed for wisdom all along the way in this new hire. And we believe firmly that God gave us the wisdom we needed. I'll end with this promise. This one I talk about all the time, but I think it's a good reminder this morning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First of all, church, what's the command? confess our sins. 
God, I am so sorry. When I did that, it was a sin. Please forgive me. Not excusing it, not passing the buck, claiming it, owning it. And then church, what's the promise? Forgiveness of our sins and a cleansing from all unrighteousness. This is God speaking to you this morning in a more sure way than if you were to show up and say it audibly. Him saying to you, when you confess your sins, I'll forgive you every time. Church, these things are life things. These things are things that I hope you see can change your every day if you really believe. So that brings us to the next big move and the next commitment I'd have you to make here, which is this. God really does speak to me. God really does make promises. And so therefore, I must believe and obey. I must believe and obey. Remember, uh, Abram's obedience was simple but costly, and he simply needed to trust God and do whatever God said, and he did not, he did not have the full picture. He did not have the full picture. Hey, how's this gonna turn out? I'm not gonna tell you. Where are we gonna end up? I'm not gonna tell you. You just go. I don't know how you operate, but I do not function well that way. I want to know, though. In fact, when we're at the School of Church Planting at Harvest, um, one of the leaders, after I was like, question, question, question. And he kind of stopped the class and said, you know, Jamie, you have a high need for information. <laughs> yes, I probably do. Uh, and attention both. I have a high need for both of those things. But uh, anyway, point is that there's this, there's this obedience that we need to just say, God, I believe you and I will obey you. I believe you and I will obey you. So what are you going to do about your worry and your anxiety? What are you going to do about your sin and confessing it? And your journey is your journey. I get it. But God will put a journey in front of you. And like Ben talked about, where he will just put doors in front of you that you need to step through and believe by faith. For us, it was very much planting this church. In fact, here's the picture of the very first church service at our church, very first one ever. This is in January of 2012. It was just two families, our family and uh, the Newlands. The Newlands have moved to Lafayette as they walked away from Jesus. Not really, they just moved to Lafayette. <laughs> they love the Lord. That was so mean. I love them, they love the Lord. Uh, but uh, anyway, so but it was us and our kids and um, uh, we had a little message, had a little worship time where I was the worship leader at that time. And uh, God has blessed us greatly beyond that now. But uh, all that to say, like that was it. And But it was very much a, here's a promise, am I gonna believe it? And God had put the doors in front of me. He put this opportunity in front of me. And I had the choice of saying, God, I'm either gonna believe you're gonna build your church and this is something you've given me. I really am gonna believe that you're gonna care for our needs if I seek first your kingdom. So now I'm just gonna walk through the store and walk through the store and trust you and trust you and trust you and trust you. And just took simple faith. Now, that's a positive example in my life. I have plenty of negative examples I could give of times where I failed to trust him. But let me just say for us, for you and your journey, you just need to obey. And, and this is really, so we talk about the, the knowing God's word and doing God's word and what bridges the gap. And we'll talk about intentionality a lot, but I think there's something that undergirds our intentionality. And that thing that undergirds our intentionality is faith. 
do I really believe what God has said? Do I really believe it? Because if I do, then I gotta find a way to do it. And then lastly, this. God really does speak to me. God really does make promises. I must believe and obey. And before I leave that to say, what does that look like for you tomorrow? Of the promises we even talked about this morning, what do you need to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you need to obey that? Don't worry, but pray. Do you need to obey that? I mean, what is it for you that you really need to just obey tomorrow? Because this is the result of it all, church. This is the result of it all. I really will worship God. Let me unpack again this concept of, of deep worship as we look at it in the context of Genesis. So if you remember Genesis 1 and the Sabbath rest, and when we talked about Sabbath, had a whole sermon, we talked about Sabbath. We talked about all the sevens you see in the original language, like seven, 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 all throughout Genesis chapter 1, really pounding the need to get to this day, this day where you just, uh, the Hebrew word is noach, you just, you just settle in and you live at peace. It's this idea, this concept that, oh, God has got it, and it's going to be good, and it's all going to be just as it should be. Everything should be just as it should be. It is that way, so I'm just, I'm just resting in the goodness of God, and, and it's, it's, it's me cuddled up in my living room, which is slightly chilled, but the fireplace is going, and I got my blanket around me, and I'm nestled in, and I'm like, and coffee, I almost forgot the coffee. And, uh, and we're like, ah, it is so good. And here's Abram. And he's just worshiping. Because he knows the end of the story? No. He's just trusting. Is where he rests in God. Well, the worship team come if they would. I uh, want to point us to this very important thing where we just trust, and this is what faith will bring you, church. This is the outcome of faith. It is that life where we say, God, I don't know the end of the story. I don't know how all of this will turn out. And right now in your life, are there question marks for you? Are there things where you're not sure how it's all gonna spin out for you in the end? Are there, are there things that just aren't quite settled yet that would cause your heart to be anxious and worried? What I'm saying to you is a life of faith will say, God, I'm gonna read your word. And when I read it, I'm gonna walk in obedience. When I fail, I'm gonna confess my sin to you who will forgive me of my sin. And so I'm gonna rest in you and just trust you right now and I'm gonna worship. And I pray that that's you. And if that's not, I pray that today, here's the very, very good news I have for you. All it takes today is a decision to trust him again. God, today, I will trust. And we're gonna do that as we sing a song of worship. But first, let me pray. Father, I love you. And I love this story of Abram and the challenge in my own life to say, how am I doing with all this? Am I really believing you and trusting you and walking in faith and rest and worship?
God, I pray even as we sing that our hearts would be turned back to you and you would do that work for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
So Father God, we uh, sing those words, but I pray that for us, these words are not just something we sing mindlessly, but it's a new commitment. It's a new decision to trust you again. You are so worthy of our trust. You want us desperately to trust you. And Lord, in the forest of life, there's gonna be a lot of problems this week even, a lot of problems this month, this year that are gonna come up that we're gonna be meandering through trying to figure out. But Lord, you're a God who gives wisdom. You're a God who takes care of us. You're a God who proved that when you gave your son to die for us. And so we trust you. God, again, we say we trust you. And together as a church, we say together, God, we trust you. And do that, Father, work in us for your glory. We ask in your son's name, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.